Hello everyone and welcome to the Shivam and Friends podcast, a space where I have some free-flowing conversations with fascinating folks. Before we get on with the show everybody, I wanted to remind you to please subscribe on whatever platform you are accessing this content on. Your subscription goes a long way in letting me know who's listening and at the same time it motivates other people to come and have a conversation with me so please do subscribe on whatever platform that you're accessing this content on additionally my podcast is also available on video on youtube under shivam and friends podcast so you can find it there my next guest is nikesh murli who's a professional voice actor and an amazon best selling commonwealth short story prize and dwl story prize winning writer nikesh has also received honorable mentions for the katha short story prize twice Nikesh is the host of the Indian Noir podcast which is a critically acclaimed chart-topping podcast featuring thrilling crime and horror audio stories set in India featuring Indian characters. I've heard the podcast and it actually blew my mind. So I was really looking forward to talking to Nikesh about all things noir and all things podcasting as well. I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed speaking with Nikesh. All right Nikesh uh... and we're rolling thank you for reminding me to check the uh to check whether or not you know, the audio is coming out good i almost always My do pleasure. that but i's glad that you we we have a sound expert around here to actually tell us <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more about uh, what to do how's it going man good good man good could i just uh, came back from watching the second wonder woman movie and uh, it was all right yeah i have a, have some thoughts on it uh, which i put up on my insta story um which is at @indianwar which is the same for twitter as well uh but yeah i had a good evening of watching a movie and i'm back here i recorded a poem uh, dedicating it to sugada kumari who is a, a famous malayalam yeah. poet who has passed away sadly due to covid so that's another stark reminder of how this disease is wiping out rich and poor yeah man. artists and and, and uh, aficionados you know all sorts of people so yeah yeah it's uh, it's a bit inter- interesting times to live in yeah that's actually yeah because covid's a pretty dark time man covid's a pretty tough time and i wonder if if actually that that whole space of covid and these times of covid have actually affected the noir genre genre so mm. uh, in your experience now in the past year or so have people uh, kind of gravitated towards dark themes because i would imagine that I, uh, people might want to stay away from those mm. i think there's a combo of both because the the purest uh horror and noir genre lovers they will always be consuming content in this space yeah i think there is a big proportion of people who have stayed away from any content that sits in this space increasingly so uh, during covid i've heard that a few times i've had a few projects that we were going to launch with um, other producers which were held back because they felt like they needed to produce more upbeat content whether these whether these upbeat you know productions actually make people feel better as another question altogether yeah. because covid is so all consuming that people can now sniff out 
insincerity, fake joy, manufactured manufactured um, positivity, all this stuff, you know, just like that. And uh, they're just not going to stand for it. So you've got to be very careful, uh, you know, when you get jump on the positivity brigade. Yeah, I think a more nuanced, balanced approach is what's good. And I've always maintained that this has worked well for me and people who love this genre that it is better to face up to the darker realities of life and accept it yeah. so that then you're free to actually move on and pursue your dreams and actually have a positive outlook uh, because it's something that instead of something that's artificial, it's something, it's a value that you commit to. 100%. You say that, yes, this is the reality and I'm going to accept a more positive direction forward. So I feel like, you know, I, I'm biased, obviously, yeah. but uh, I, I feel like you're better off uh, co- being on a constant diet of uh, content that, uh, the, the, you know, the positive yeah. content as well, but also balance it out with the, the darker sort of content so that you can you can have a balanced view of life. Yeah, 100%. And I also think that um, some level of nihilism, actually, especially when you're engaging with it from a space of fantasy, uh, helps. Mm. It helps you understand that life is not rigid. There's not, there's, it's not linear. There's many things to it. And actually that's what I was experiencing while I was listening to Indian Noir on, I Mm. checked it out on Spotify. And as I was listening to it, I realized like some of these themes are, they're definitely dark and you know, the soundtrack and the voiceover definitely helps me get into that space. Mm. And then I was like, yes, it reminded me of, a conversation I had with one of the people that I knew and uh, he was going through a divorce and he was in a pretty dark phase in his life and he was telling mm. me more about the nihilistic books that he was reading mostly about the lack of purpose that there is in life and mm. m- like his space where he would gravitate to those, that kind of content because it helped him get some level of catharsis. Mm. And I was just wondering what your thoughts on that were. Like, do you think that people do get some sort of release when they're going through these genres? It's not just like sex and porn. Yeah, catharsis is, you know, uh, I think one of the key purposes of consuming art. Uh, The relief that you get from engaging in in a fictional construct that helps you then process emotions, feelings, things that are happening to you. And I'm not surprised that your friend in this instance has turned to nihilism as a as a, as a, as a, as a philosophy to help uh, deal with what he was going through. Um, I think once, it's just as I said before, if you accept that you are in a world devoid of meaning or purpose, then you are free of the artificial constructs that society and religion and you know, the productivity brigade and the things you've learned in textbooks all put on you. Instead, you are free to craft a meaning and purpose for yourself. In a lot of ways, it's reflected in atheism in a lot of ways mm-hmm. as well, that they accept that they, that's their belief system that there is no God, but they are, and they are stating that they don't need a God or a religion to find enjoyment in life. And I think nihilistic um, works of art uh, provide that same sort of comfort. Um, also draws you in mm-hmm. to this point in time where you have an honest look at yourself and the people around you and the world around you. Mm-hmm. And through that, start seeing things in a more um, robust and, 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 and with a lot of clarity. 
So I feel like you can have a lot of personal development from engaging with the genre. And I, this is something I repeatedly yeah. put out with Indian Noir as well. The purpose is not to um, uh, send, you spiral, send you spiraling into depression. It is to make you face up to the darkness and mm. embrace it. And then, you know, go go on a journey where you can absolutely work towards attaining your full potential in life. Instead of believing in, instead of having naive belief systems and, you know, telling yourself everything is going, mm. okay, if I tell five mantras in the morning, then, you know, everything's going to be cautious. No, it's not. So the universe doesn't care about you. Yeah. It's very cold and uncaring. You have to care about yourself and people around you. And mm-hmm. through that, you will find... Uh, find happiness yeah definitely and i think yeah 100% agree with you that it is re- reflected in indian noir because while i was going through it um while i was going through the podcast it's amazing um the characters were not conventional right so the character creation what was going on with them they were by no means mainstream and mm. that's something which was like whoa like Uh, this is definitely podcasting is the medium where like i would definitely engage with it more i was like this should totally be and okay i didn't know much about the indian noir when i was going through it so mm. um i was like well this has to be like th- i can't believe this isn't a novel like this should be in written format and then i found out that it was mm. in written format and then yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah it was yeah <laughs> most of it, it was in written format and it just just, just couldn't find a home with publish publishers because Publishing had spiraled into a descent by that point. You know, there, was, there were too many books. Not enough people were buying books. People were on social media all the time. TV and um, television and, and and the movies just generally mm. beat novels yeah. down to the mud uh, when it came to the, the the quality of experience they could provide. Video games, mm. you know, they were much superior as an art form. Yeah. Uh, novels just did not uh, evolve, uh, or even even though they made attempts. Uh, to evolve, they um, they were led down by the fact that it's uh, it's it's now become the domain of these really elitist yeah. um, groups of mm. people that um, you know uh, find uh, that, that look down on people who produce pulp writing or people who write write yeah. you know write works of art for entertainment that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, there is also a, pro- uh, a section of uh, publishing that's not like that. Yeah. The ones that make money, they they don't behave like that at all. You know, the, you know, publishers. I mean, romance novels are sold. One a romance novel is sold every five seconds or something like that. Like and 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 look at the thriller novels and the airport crime novels. Yeah. They are doing roaring business, and they have they are supported by uh, publishing houses that don't have a belief system like that. Yeah. So. They're both parties, but generally, I feel like novel as a genre has been let down oh, yeah. by overwriting, overly lengthy word count just to suit the, um, you know, the the the, the spreadsheet agendas Got of the it. production houses. So, well, it has to be five hundred yes. pages. Well, nobody reads five hundred pages anymore. Yeah. People can barely sit through two seconds of scrolling on Facebook. How are they going to read 500 pages? Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah, spe- Sure, there's some people who can relax and read it, but, you know, it's uh, unfortunately, it's not the dominant genre. Yeah, especially when there's such great content out there, like in terms of voice acting, because there's like, nowadays you got even Audible's classics, right? Because Audible does those classics, but they do it so well, where you have like yeah. different people playing different characters and reading that out. As opposed to reading a classic, I would much rather listen to it, especially if the... 
english isn't too too old you know from way, way back when yeah yeah then i yeah. can totally like just listen audio to- audiobooks have really saved publishing and they will continue to save publishing especially enhanced audiobooks because now people come with the expectation of watching you know high quality sfx in 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 video games and cinema and tv that their audio listening experience is also going to be awesome like that so um you know that's being reflected i was listening to some star wars titles mm. today and they they all have they have a permanent sfx track underneath uh which is really good uh sometimes sometimes the sound engineering is a bit off and people complain about it but uh you know i think that's the future yeah um so totally concur with what you say yeah 100% and uh what i like about it is i can do different things and i don't need to be engaged in just reading a book or uh listening to a podcast or uh basically watching a movie also it's like i'm watching a movie but i'm listening to it and if things are descriptive enough well i can walk around i can do my own thing i can go to the gym play it on like 1.5x play it on 2x i know some people don't like that i like that playing it yeah. a little bit faster level because like you know you get through more uh, information and content well, I I do that too I mix it up I go too rarely I go 1.7 whenever it's you know really descriptive uh I do 1.35 yeah. when I want to really listen to something at the right speed um so that's but you know I, I just want to interject and say that people always forget that oral storytelling was mm. with human beings not longer than printed books which has only been here for a few hundred years. Yeah. So really printing is a quite a newfound phenomenon. So when people like hold books up like there are some holy artifacts, not really. Um yeah. and yeah, there is there is a certain enjoyment in reading books. I still read print books. Um but I think uh, the storytelling will evolve yeah. um in 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 audio yeah. a lot more than it has evolved in print. Yeah, 100% um is like i just think the fact that i i don't know if this happened i don't know if how um, accurate my facts are but from what i understand jk rowling apparently she came up with a pen name and she tried to publish through a pen name and she got rejected like a lot so i think that just speaks to a, a feel right which is not it's a space which is not willing to entertain individual contributors it's not it's it's a space where people who want to create don't have a space so well yeah. uh, a medium where you can actually put your ideas out there just uh you know whatever quality it is then you're in the marketplace of ideas you're not there's no middleman there's nobody filtering what you're trying trying to create yeah. which may be a good Absolutely. thing or a bad thing but i think mostly it's a good thing yeah. because people get to choose what they want to listen to if they don't like my shit that's they exactly. can go somewhere else and if they don't like that's exactly right yeah and you know like you know people who consume your content they have a right to uh, call call out something if they they don't enjoy it but then the the thing is you know they've got something else they can turn to so there's always that opportunity and there's plenty of content so it's not like they're going to miss mm-hmm. out uh, i'm pretty sure people will listen to indian or in india and some of them will go down the audio fiction path and they will produce excellent work in other genres or the same genres that are different and like in 4 or 5 years there'll be like a a massive great uh, audio fiction shows yeah. like there yeah but even more so where and people can listen to one on a monday one on a tuesday one on a wednesday and you know everyone's happy so um yeah it's it's uh, but, but i think cutting out the middle uh, men in in the process that leads to uh, a lot more risks being taken yeah. in the content that produced yeah um 
and a lot of new ideas to filter yeah. in. Like I, I, I was never a fan, a fan of these bloated stories. They need to be quite quick and efficient. They need to be fast paced. They need to entertain. They need a thrill. They need, still need to be emotional, but they need to be delivered in a in a in a in a format and a speed right. uh, that dis- that respects the time of the listeners. Yeah, hundred percent. Is um, when when you were thinking about this stuff, like when you were thinking through it. When did you decide to firstly? When did you decide to take your stuff, like take your novels, and turn them into audio? Yeah, so I. Uh, I, you know, became a writer and followed the traditional track where they, I wrote poetry. I got it, got good at it. I won awards and I moved to short stories. I got good at it. I won awards. I published in a lot of magazines in this whole phase. Yeah. But then when I came to the book publishing side of things, that's when publishing had become like a, you know, you, you need to know someone to get published right. type of situation. So, and then it became very difficult to access editors and literary agents. And it just takes so long yeah. to go through the process. And then particularly now I realize this, the time it takes to write a synopsis for a book, you can write another story in that time. Yeah. Why would I waste my time? Like, you know, you know, call writers in, have a video call, ask them what the book is mm. about. Don't make them write another 1,500 word synopsis. What a waste of time. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just really archaic administrative processes. Right. Um, all the frustrating stuff and I just kind of gave up and... Um, I was still teaching creative writing at university and I was doing teaching workshops as well, mm-hmm. but that was the limit of my engagement. I stopped writing. I gave up on the whole thing. And then a few years passed and, you know, I felt like, you know, I still needed to do something creative with my time. So I started reciting poetry o- online on Twitter and Instagram, and that really took off. And some of the contemporary American poets, some of the current greats, they really praised it. And some of them became viral hits and sweet. I got a lot of voice acting gigs out of that and voicing poetry videos and audio mm. dramas. And then I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe I can combine talent A with talent B and there'll be something that'll come out of this. So I combined the writing and the, and the recitation. And I thought, yep, yeah, here we go. Yeah. And I tried my hand at uh, podcasting. But before I even did that, I spent a long time actually learning how to do it properly. I learned voice acting. Um, I learned good mic techniques. Mm -hmm. I learned audio production and mostly I did it through online courses, both free and, uh, ones that cost money. And then I started doing Indian noir and, you know, I think it took me a year and a half to get the hang of how to put together the content properly as in how does the narration track Mm -hmm. need to work? How does the BGM track need to work? What's the packaging like? Yeah. And it took me about two years to try and understand how do you, how you market and use social media to leverage, um, interactions mm-hmm. with your listeners um so yeah yeah man um i can definitely see the quality like come out right right from the first episode i i heard the latest bangard series and i heard the season one episode like i think i heard the first five or six season uh, episodes of season one and right from Thank the you. get-go it's uh the the soundtrack is amazing so there's a soundtrack accompanying everything that you say i think that's really really good um do it's um mm. there's so many things that's going for it like um you got these little um so basically the sound i think the soundtrack really adds a lot of depth to the experience itself mm. the voiceover acting is brilliant yeah. so that's amazing yeah thank you um, i think it definitely yeah. did add a lot of punch to the whole experience i was like <laughs> yeah so the way i structure yeah. it i always go there's an order to it i think my voice is superior to everything mm-hmm. else then comes the BGM, mm-hmm. then comes the SFX, yeah. which is very sparingly yeah. used. And I use it in such a way that it just sets the scene. Yeah. 
it doesn't bang on every three seconds and take people out of the experience because what I want is to create more of a theater of the mind yeah. experience rather than them being pulled out of that environment. So, but thank yeah, you for saying that the earlier I was scared at 4 p.m. It was big, long, long, long learning curve for me that the uh, first few yeah. seasons. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, to hear. I was uh, like I said, I was scared at 4 p.m. Man, I was like, uh, it was 4 p.m. It yeah. was day outside. I was like, why am I scared? <laughs> like, what the hell is going on? Like, what the yeah. fuck? And yeah. it was, it was crazy. It definitely did like get me into the experience and things like that. So it was good, good. And look, I, I think the other thing I should mention as well is that. The other thing that got me thinking about starting a mm-hmm. podcast as well was during that period when I wasn't writing, I used to still engage with the genre, read widely and, you know, watch uh, horror movies and stuff. And I have a lot of friends who don't, can't watch yeah. horror movies. So they would then ask me to tell them the story. So I would, I would tell it so well that they would actually prefer watching the movie yeah, yeah. because it's really weird. The, the, the verbal conveying mm. of an idea, almost like passing on a virus that gets buried in your head and just stays right. there and starts tunneling. You start building your own imagery, which is more scary than actually horror movies are scary for a long time. Uh, and then obviously the jump scare is scary too. But like once you see the, the monster, then you know, you lose a bit of the pizza, the, the, the yes. effect. Mm necessarily in all cases, not necessarily in all mm-hmm. cases. People always say that. It's not necessarily true in all cases. Yeah. The ritual, Netflix is a great example of where you actually do see the monster and then it just, it triples your fear after. So if it's done yeah. well, it's very good. But I think oral storytelling, you are uh, linking up to a primal part of your Ooh, brain. Yes. So like the, the, the where I knew I was really good at it was when I told someone about Insidious. I don't know if you've seen Insidious. No, I haven't. The first movie. I may have. I may have seen it. It's, is it a 2020 yeah, film yeah, or 2019 the, film? Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, 2019, I think. I can't remember the exact date. But there are two particular scenes where um, uh, I was telling the part and I could see the person kind of shrink into the chair. Uh, this is the part where the, the mother and the son are talking to each other and it cuts between both of their faces back and forth. Back and right. forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's the conversation. Now they have tricked you. You are lost in the conversation. You are totally not expecting what's going to happen next because you're so immersed in it. And then from the back of his head, you can see the, oh, the monster yeah. sliding his <laughs> face coming to one side. And it's just such a iconic, terrifying yeah. Um, yeah. Um, scene. And I remember like explaining those bits and people really feeling yeah. it. And I thought, oh, wow. So you, you can actually really take people to another place with oral storytelling so yeah um so yes yeah, that was part of the motivation as yeah, well it, it always like i always get a little um i'm always curious about the fact that there's like ghost stories like as a meme like as an idea have been like people have been doing it for years like i've been um and for some reason the same stories kind of come up like for some reason there's a i, I don't know why but the indian prototype for it is lady in a white sari with her feet turned backwards yeah. i don't know why but that that theme yeah, yeah. always comes up and yeah the only corollary i can find to that is stuff that you'd see in um, uh, like basically jungian psychology where you say that everyone has a shadow and your the projections that that represents the dark side of you actually take a very similar avatar or very similar symbols so feminine forms which are mysterious 
you are not aware of mm. whether or not they're malignant or not yet that the threat mm. of them possibly being dangerous is something which scares the shit out of people i don't know why and yeah. um yeah, there yeah. these um, themes basically that uh, kind of come up and it's insane how it's very very pro- like it's, it's prototypical in its approach mm. Mm. yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's um yeah i have to say that's been that's been a problem with indian horror as well that it never evolved past those concerns those thematic concerns the fear of the darkness yeah. in 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 the rural setting that uh, makes you see uh, the drifting sari clad woman um you know or the the bangla that is haunted and like these motifs repeat unto itself and in a lot of ways what indian war is doing is taking those tropes and then giving them another yeah. dimension for example bangla operates purely on the haunted fort mm-hmm. a stereotype that's been done to death but then it gives it all these thematic depths yeah. uh these mirrored discussions about uh classism uh the city versus rural divide um elitism and uh the, the common man in india uh the how we accept even a hellish place to be uh, as you know a normal yeah. place because we live yeah. there and we become accepting of the horrid truths of the place uh you know like say so you thread these complex thematic um mm-hmm. concerns through these stereotypical things and suddenly you can, you can make a new one so uh, indian war is experimenting in that yeah. space a yeah. lot but it's also trying to introduce a lot of uh, um traditions that are established internationally which absolutely need to seep into horror fiction we can't keep making the same thing again and again yeah. so i just you know it was, it's it's my mission to create a body of work that will draw on this trends yeah. so i've written one lovecraftian story that's quite tiny but i want to write a bigger mm-hmm. one um and we'll write some mckinian and uh, blackwoodian stories uh which are other trends that uh, tap into you know the spirit mm-hmm. folklore and um rural terror and all those other genres so um mm-hmm. um Yeah it's interesting that we have these kind of you know yeah. thematic concerns they're not necessarily bad but they need to evolve. Yes. Yeah even I don't know if we have an Indian version of pirates but pirates are pretty mm. intriguing as just a uh, a group of people who are like unpredictable and because they are unpredictable they're kind yes. of dark. But yeah yeah, yeah that's but, right that's right yeah not enough stories are produced in that and in with pirates either like there's so much so many stories to tell so yeah 100 and i could see you if you're a, i could see you try i could see you def not try you were definitely doing that with bhangar as well because there were elements of um, without giving too much away there was elements of relationships that were kind of you weave that in as well and there was uh, it, yeah, there yeah. was the uh, yeah, homophobia in society you know like it's um, like all, all those aspects that we need to start talking about quite aggressively i mean they're starting to happen in the streaming movies mm-hmm. and tv shows but you know there are other parts of our art that that can permeate into as well yeah. um but you know not beating people to death with the preachy kind of uh, uh messages but rather to- accepting it as as facts that that need to be looked at yeah um i think um, i think the fact that it's so uh, dark it deals with themes that you cannot like which you ca- won't get in a mainstream movie and um, yes it cannot be you there's no way that it would be preachy there's like cuz 
yeah it's yeah. it's so yeah. uh, true that it can't be that yeah. doesn't come from a place of you should be this way it comes from a place of this is what it is yeah. so yeah yes yes true absolutely yeah and i think that's one of the benefits of doing indian noir not having the censorship of editors or producers or you know publishing entities that's really really good and for that sense it becomes refreshing to an audience and uh, they feel like they don't have to watch or listen to the same boring old things again and again so that's that's to work to indoors benefit that's yeah and what's your what's your creative process like man like uh, what do you do what do you do to get yourself in the space of uh, being creative creating these characters these uh, plots storylines yeah. yeah so i you know i'm very much a process person and a mechanics person so i love the mechanical the, the frameworks underneath storytelling so i always approach a story from that that point of view i create a i look at the three act structure and i um and because by now i'm quite well well versed in it what i need i i describe the process as uh kind of getting on the surfboard and going back into the shore mm-hmm. every time i do a story right. and i will never get stuck because i know how to come back into the water again and do the same process mm-hmm. again and that's being comfortable with the framework lets you do that so i have that comfort mm-hmm. so all i need is to make a determination on what genre i'm going to write in mm-hmm. what particular thematic concerns am i interested in what i want to address what kind of conflicts would i like to sort of explore mm-hmm. uh and what is the audience looking for at this stage and w- what am i generally feeling as well because if i i don't want to get jaded writing the same thing right. so that's why you'd always notice with indian noir there's a crime story then a horror story then a crime then a horror mm-hmm. so uh that lets me mix it up and sometimes i'll throw in another genre uh, that has shades of crime and horror um so yeah so i decide on that and then i start writing essentially mm-hmm. with bhangar i knew I wanted to explore the king in yellow mythos in an Indian context. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to address homophobia yeah. in our society. I also wanted to address some of the conflict points in the different classes in our society. I wanted to address the idea of a haunted place, mm-hmm. what a haunting actually means. Um uh, and you will notice this in yeah. Bangad that uh, um, generally you would notice that the thing about a haunting is it's almost like a virus. Yeah. It The original story plants itself in the first person and then it as it travels from person to person it grows or adds new elements and becomes truly alive the supernatural force truly comes into existence as it goes from person to person i really wanted to explore that idea as well and if you yeah. listen to some episodes of pagadi you'll realize there's a middle episode where the guy that takes our protagonist to the fort almost in the same sequence tells him three versions of the story it's written in such a way that you almost don't realize it but he does almost says three versions of that story right. and the person listening to it is very accepting and if you uh, notice this really happens all the time in um, uh when you actually share stories about supernatural yes. experiences as well yeah yeah that's actually whew, i didn't i didn't see that actually i didn't i didn't I didn't pick that up but that makes complete total yeah, yeah. sense man. One of those things should be picked up in multiple listenings you know like if you do it if you pick it up in the first listening yeah. then it's just too much beating you over the yeah. head uh to show my, you know how clever I am. It should never be placed yeah. like that. It's something that should actually exist in the subtext. Yes. And then if someone 
second listen, they will obviously pick right. it. Uh, but in your head, somewhere, the idea sits that a haunting is like a virus in a lot of ways. It, yeah, it definitely is. It hundred percent is. Um, it's yeah. There's also like um, I think a friend of mine and I were talking about this in an earlier podcast. I want to get your thoughts on it. There's, I think there's a very strong psychological basis to believe in the supernatural. Like I don't per se believe that it exists, but I can see why people would want it to exist. For example, I don't know why, but whenever I speak to watchmen, like people who have been guarding gates for a very long time, they tend to always give me uh, examples of how they've seen ghosts. Um, Mm. And like just... uh, again darkness because i think uh, villages for some reason like i mm. i think the way indian villages were made uh, there was a significant portion of the village obviously that was uninhabitable in the night like you might get a snake you might get mm. things that so i yeah, guess yeah. over a period of time that fear of darkness came up so that actually gives people a basis to say okay you know what stay away from that but then there are so many notional ideas that people are scared of. Like, for example, some of the mm. themes that you deal with um, in Bhangar actually has um, certain relational basis for, uh, you know, believing in the supernatural. Mm. Yeah. And that's, um, that's pretty crazy. Also, uh, I don't know if um, this kind of... I don't know how much of the story arc you use, but I was, I've, I've been reading uh, the, actually I have read the hero's journey and uh, mm. just that whole method of creating a character over a long period mm. of time. Uh, yeah. I like watching their development kind of unfold. And uh, mm. a lot of people actually, when I'm, and that's when I realized when I read that book, basically that's when I realized that when I look at a character, when I look at something like a person on a screen or in a story. I'm actually, in a way, looking at a version of myself going through some mm. form of accelerated development through life. And the challenges that yes. the character faces is a representation of the challenges that I face. And yes. um, them getting over that through their own obstacles and through their own process is me getting over that in my own way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How much of that do you kind of put in when you're designing your characters and things like that? Oh, totally. I mean, the, I'm, the hero's journey is an excellent storytelling framework. Like, you know, there, are, there are plenty of these frameworks, mm-hmm. but it uh, particularly works really well for stories like Star Wars, which are, you know, are um, very much like the myths and legends mm-hmm. of a lot of our ancient cultures. Um, uh, and um, you know, it's it's just as you say, it's really a truncated and less messy form uh, of um, explaining character transformation in in human life uh, through trials and tribulations. Uh, everyone goes through those experiences. Um, if you go through that those cha- those trials and you don't change, you perish. Mm-hmm. If you do, then you know that that even at a great cost, you might become you might find a new direction. You might change. Um, so that's uh, that's 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 mm. a very good framework to tell stories like that. I use more of a screenplay, screenwriting Got structure, uh, with the three active structure. So I, it's the stories are very much embedded in that. Got it. Even the shorter stories um, have um, 
a three-act structure going. And the beauty of the three-act structure is it, it uh, repeats itself even in the smaller sequences. Even the smaller sequences have a beginning, middle, and end. So that's, that helps you keep the story moving forward quite fast and keep it entertaining, but also explore the series, the scenes for the right reasons. Mm. Uh, you know, they, there's nothing extraneous. They're all there for a reason. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, 100%. Uh, and the reason why I actually brought that up was because I noticed um, that some of your characters were actually going through their own inner, inner journey. So I was wondering how much you consider it. But mm. that, that's great that you do consider it. Is um, Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, you know, I think it's one of the first considerations I make. So once I decide on a theme, I decide on a character and link, find the best character to sit in that theme. But then almost immediately decide the emotional journey this person needs to go on, uh, which is more important and makes people endears them to the listeners more than, you know, just having action scene after action scene. Uh, but, but keeping in mind that the, the traditional tendency is for these people to go through these journeys and have some kind of transformation, this necessarily, this, this might yeah. not happen with Indian noir. Mm-hmm. A lot of those people go through these journeys and perish. There is no opportunity for them to change. Uh, they they try to fight a, a phenomenon, a system, which is unbeatable, and then they perish in the due course of and their their they they had too much uh, belief in their own uh, abilities to to conquer the darkness. The truth was that you know they should have never fought it in the mm-hmm. first place, or that the darkness came from a place, an earlier era that they should have correct corrected. And this is you know there's always been a thematic concern of horror mm-hmm. that that you are punished for your hubris, your um, belief that you are, you can transcend certain older natural forms of energy and power sources that live in, in nature. Um, but, you know, through that also learn yeah. about some of the societal repercussions mm. of having a certain kind of lifestyle or certain belief system. Um, so, yes, so definitely a big concern when, when I'm drafting stories. That's- Okay, that and that's actually very much aligned to the noir genre, genre, right? Like in terms of just generally having a, like, yeah, there may not be a purpose to that, and but may, but yes. th- mm. that doesn't mean that there's no learning from that. You can learn from that experience yeah. of that character, yeah, and I guess even get entertained by those experiences by actually having a look yes. at those processes. Yes. I think that be, I think yeah. what entertains people is the fact that they get to learn it's weird but they're not really like when when Mm -hmm. you're hearing a story like you find some some stories which are super engaging super entertaining and when i look deeper i like what's what's entertaining about it it's the fact that there's some Mm. level of novelty there and then also there's the fact Mm. that it's giving you some kind level of social reality that you don't really didn't really know about before you actually got to getting that and yeah definitely has. yeah it's funny that you say this like um this is Chuck Polanyi's uh, book about his writing career. Right. It's called uh, Consider, Consider This. Yeah, and uh, you know those are the two things. It's his classic tactic, as he does in Fight Club as right. well. He constantly keeps throwing facts at you, yeah. so you're learning things. You're going, "Wow, is that, is that really true? Can you make soap from human fat?" <laughs> like you know, that just blows yeah, your okay. mind. Uh, but the other thing he says is the other point you raised, which is about societal constructs. He says this, um, which I, th- I thought, you know, this, I, it really blew my mind. I've never thought about it. It's such an obvious thing, but uh, 
You know, the, the reason why Fight Club is so yeah. popular or social novels are so popular is because it discusses a belief system that people wish existed in society. People mm-hmm. generally in society, people live very lonely lives, yeah. but they want to actually belong to a community, a tribe and stories that actually believe these constructs, create these yeah. constructs for people, um, you know, uh, tend to be very popular. So both those things that you said, Chuck Polanyi actually mentions yeah. it. In yeah, because Fight Club um, essentially helped a generation of people realize that what they're going through is a result of their own weird creation. Like the whole thing that you keep wanting to need, like that um, Tyler Durden speech that we're a whole generation of people that grew up without a war. Like we don't have something to, to fight against. And that's why we're in this that's situation right. where we've kind of pussified ourselves. We've made ourselves very comfortable. That whole narrative, I didn't realize that that was a narrative till I saw the film. And that's when I realized, yeah. holy shit, I'm in this situation because I've probably not experienced some level of real challenge. I've never really been hungry. I've never really been, uh, you know, in a space where I have to, like I'm go if I don't do something the next day I'm gonna die. Like there's nobody looking like there's yeah. nobody looking out of a crosshair to kill me. And it's yeah. uh it's in that situation where like oh yeah that's a reality that that exists. Fuck. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of bo- um books or movies that I've actually experienced that recently, but a lot of them actually speak about that. Uh, one of my colleagues actually mentioned that when I do like talk like on the podcast as well like like why do you have no theme like you have absolutely no theme that you want to talk about and they're like why don't you Mm. try to make it about like social issues because you find yourself talking about like i find you talking about social issues all the time Mm. like i don't know man i don't think i don't think i want to talk about social issues but they just just end up happening like they they end up kind of seeping into everything that you talk about even if it might be science or not like it might be completely fact-based but absolutely yeah there is some level of uh, politicization of facts as well so it's not never one one line of thinking you know and that's yeah if you're a social animal there is no escaping it unfortunately or fortunately i mean it's important to discuss those things but uh I can also understand when people don't want to be preached to too much. I get that. Mm. I think, you know, it's, it's poor form to yeah. preach like that as yeah. well. I actually, you know, I think, I actually think that the first Wonder Woman is a, is, is one of the best feminist movies ever made mm. because it, uh, the feminism is naturally integrated into the character without the character jumping on a table and suddenly making a walk speech. It's, you know, it's nobody behaves like that in real life anyway. So it's, um, it jars, yeah. it really yeah. jars. Which is why when people do that on social media as well, on a performative yes. basis, people are like, mm, that's really strange. And that, that makes no sense. But when it's through actions, uh, when it's in meaningful context, it's really, really, really helps. So those aspects have to be carefully managed when you're telling a story or doing a, even a nonfiction podcast. They should be organic. So I think you know your style is quite good in that yes. sense. If your normal conversations are happening and that's drawing in politics yeah. and Social issues, that's fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. Like in terms of the preaching aspect of things, it doesn't, uh, it's not the best to do that, especially if you're doing like... People switch yeah. off. People really switch off. Uh, it's what uh, Barack Obama recently said about uh, the defund the police movement. He said, stop saying that. 
stop saying that tagline because the moment you say that you've lost 75% of the room, yeah. instead start talking about what that actually means. These the sloganeering business, yeah. uh, this clicktivism business, which is so easy yeah. and it's just completely unrealistic and is not reflective of how the real mm. world works. Um, yeah. It's not how you, it's not how you change things. Um, I was like, um, so a while back, this is, I don't know, I'm getting a little too political here, but a while back, uh, I was in home, back home in India. And it was around December time and people were like, people were protesting something. I think they, at that point in time, there was the CAA NRC protest. I don't agree with the policy as well, but uh, I didn't protest, right? I didn't go out and protest because I'm mostly a centrist. Uh, I went out, but I think is I went out to see a protest. I wanted to see what this was about. And the group of people who were actually there like there were a few people who genuinely felt a lot and like who if i were to ask them i'm sure that i would get a very nuanced and detailed response about why that bill was whatever it wasn't working my issue with yeah. that was that 90 percent of the people there had no fucking idea what that bill was about and that's yeah. the nature of this whole generation of you know posting a story you got a story you got to put that shit up i have to I have to tell people what I feel about this issue so I can like stand out ideologically. Yeah, that's and right. And when I'm doing... Because actually actually learning about something and actually trying to... This is in any in, in any, any instance, really. Yeah. Like the actual breakdown of something to come to a solution is actually more complex. Mm. It's harder. It takes a long time. You have to... Uh, do a lot of stakeholder engagement. You have to bring people in. This is not very glamorous. So it doesn't look very glamorous on social media. So it's, um, it's, you know, there's uh, people take the the quick, quick path. And I also, the other thing I was going to say with relation to that was, I think it's really, we know now that protests don't really work. Yeah. In uh, general case, I think the farmers protest might work because it's a different group. There are certain groups that can affect change i think the farmers protests which they're rightly protesting for that might work but there are there's a vast section of society that protests that i i think it's a useless way to go about trying to assert your yeah. uh, uh, your uh, we know the, 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 what you want there are other ways to do it but they are long term they talk they take a lot more application of uh intellect and working together right. and having the mental stamina to persevere mm-hmm. through the whole thing um it's not that people can't do this. I think I blame our our educational system for, you know, sort of really ruining people. And instead of making them really uh, engaged citizens who want to invest in improving processes, it's just made them the kind of people who would just uh, air their opinions, yeah. get some likes, and that's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. I, particularly in India, in India, we cannot afford to be like that. We there are lots of areas in which we have to improve as a country, yeah. and so we have to come together, get everyone on the board, um, stop uh, divisive behaviors. And, yeah. um, you know, we are such an educated mass of people, we can work on the micro nuances, we can reform our, our, our social yeah. systems, we can do this. Yeah. And I think it'll come to that point when eventually people realize that all this kind of collectivism business is not really working. Yeah, um, yeah. You know what's uh, surprising? Like, 
um, past few weeks, actually, I've been really surprised by this fact because I was reading this uh, 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 kind of a right-leaning American author called Thomas Saul. And the dude mentions that uh, basically most of these, min- most out of all minorities in Western uh, Western-based countries, Indians happen to be some of the most successful when it comes to their, uh, mm. you know, the outcomes they can get. So they get, they have a yeah. higher median income. They have a higher amount of, uh, uh, like basically their ability to succeed in an economy, which is open is way higher, like uh, their uh, political yeah. space, things like that. And a lot of it comes from work ethic. So I think Indians as, yeah. as a group of people have a lot of, uh, you know, habits that have been set up which really do work for them. Uh, yeah. I don't know why, but I don't know why. It's a complex issue, but I don't know why back home a lot of the uh, people don't like, there's not a correlation between the amount of effort that you put in and the outcomes that you get. And yeah. that level of fairness is really, I think is a core of a lot of people's frustration. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. And I think, you know, but I think I look at younger Indians and I see a lot of hope. I think that um, they will come through this and they will, um, they already are. They are much more smarter and more intelligent than the previous generations. They will, because they want to effect actual change Mm -hmm. in society, work together to create this system. So I'm actually very hopeful of what's going on. And I think, you know, drawing this back to Indian war, that's Mm -hmm. one of the things as well. It wants to, it wants to give people uh, the ability to have a worldview that looks at the grayness of the world instead of looking at it as black and white, and perhaps accept that there is a lot more of the mm. darker elements in our society than the brighter elements. That it's a it's a real yeah. fight to um, to achieve um, uh, some of the pious goals that we have as, as citizens. Uh, but this can only be done if we have a realistic framework of looking at yes. the world. Um, for example, on social media, I see a lot of rebels, mm-hmm. you know, which is a classic teenage phase. We all go through this. We all have gone yeah, through yeah. this. The people who do this on social media now are no different from me or anyone else who did that. But who exactly are you rebelling against? People don't give a shit. This is this is the problem we have as a society. Yeah. This is the problem we're really in. The 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 the, the, the skill set we need is not the ability to re, to be a rebel. It's actually to care about each other enough mm. as a community, as a society. Yeah, that's what we should be working towards. But you know, this is reflected in every generation. So it's it's it's. You know, but increasingly now, I believe uh, we will have to shift our focus on this community building mm. efforts because I was looking at some stats from COVID. Mm-hmm and the perceptions around the world of people thinking about whether they are feeling close to their society or distanced from the society, increasingly more and more are feeling distanced from their community, from the society. Even countries like mm-hmm. India. It's really concerning. Yeah. So instead of this whole rebellion business of championing oneself and becoming the Che Guevara's of the world, we need to cull down that individuality and think yeah. about ourselves as groups of people coming together so we can all rise. Yeah. So that the vulnerable people in our society can rise, people who are marginalized can rise, even people who don't share our same opinion, so that they can have mm-hmm. a voice, and then we can listen to them and we can counter them with evidence. Yeah. That we can, 
preserve the the the, the, the qualities of the basic qualities of human decency and democracy. Yeah. And so I think you know, like noir and horror and all these other genres really contribute in that sense as yeah. well to building up a more three-dimensional understanding. Yeah, of the world. and also like um, a, a very key aspect of being somebody who is community oriented being somebody who is getting people in it's not all rainbows and butterflies and fucking shitting uni- unicorns it it requires you to get in touch with your dark side you have you have to accept yes. and recognize that you have a shitty aspect of your living as a human being yes and that other people you come across will have those shitty aspects you know? yes yeah. yes and like you can see that like other people have uh they have their shit stinks too you know there's something about them which is terrible as well as 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 well as you it's not that y'all are both horrible human beings it's just that both of y'all have a side which is dark and i think uh noir as a genre really does bring that out that every every there is a darker element to what you see even in regular society in fact like that now that I think about it, that makes perfect sense um, and that perfectly explains why Watchmen actually has a different complete hue through the movie. Mm-hmm. Like it has a complete different tint yeah. and a different way of viewing the world. Even the tone that you use as you're kind of narrating noir is not... Very rarely would you go upbeat, right? Yeah, Rosh Rash's um, ne- voiceover <laughs> is incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. That is... That is the toughest thing to get in a noir story. Who or how is the, is the, is the main narrative voice um, brought into creation? Um, there are some incredible ones, like obviously Marv in Sin City. Yeah. But uh, even the opening sequence of Sin City where the... I can't remember who the actor is, but uh, where he shoots the, the, the lady who's hugging him, like the way it's delivered. Mm-hmm. Noir has this amazing literary quality to it. It has this amazing um, poetry mm. to it, um, which is just incredible, which comes through uh, really well in, in, in Watchmen as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, man. Sorry, but Shivam, I just have to get a glass of water. Okay, bear with me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, no problem. Take your time. Hold on. Yeah, so we're back. You had to take a water break. Um, yes. So, yeah, so... A lot of these um, themes, um, so yeah, you know what I was thinking was that even some of the myths and legends within um, that India has uh, would be a ripe place to kind of explore noir, don't you think? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, it's definitely my intention post Bhanga to look at the different haunted places in India and try and give them. Um, deeper myths they're mm-hmm. fairly some of them can have very simplistic myths and Bhangar is a classic case of that and like some of the characters run a commentary on this fact in the story as well um but i think you know there's a lot of room to explore some of the haunted places in 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 in, in india and give them uh, a bhangar like treatment which is definitely my intention going forward uh I did a, a a fantasy show called Devasur, mm-hmm. uh, which ran for uh, thirteen episodes. Uh, it's just finished. It's finished season one. That was uh, our Indian mythology discussed through the lens of noir, um, and has kind of darker elements, more grim, grim, dark elements, as they call it. 
So that was very interesting. Um, so yeah, so there's lots of room to explore that. Yeah, man. And um, yeah, 100%. Uh, I look forward to it. I'm definitely going to be like, I've put it, I've put yours as I'm going to save notifications every time something you drop something new, I'm going to be listening Thank to you. it. Thank Just you. one more time, how can people find you? If uh, you are your Indian Noah, Noah on Twitter, and uh, how can I find your podcast? Where is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I just before we finish up, I just want to thank you for inviting me over and for having you know this great conversation. If people have listened and watched and enjoyed the conversation and want to learn more about the shows that we were talking mm-hmm. about, uh, I am on indiannoir.com. Uh, and so once you get to the website, there is a prominent button as soon as you land there that when you click, will take you to your favorite audio streaming app and you can listen to the, the podcast. But uh, we do uh, crime and horror stories set in India featuring Indian characters and are steeped in Indian culture and mythology. And uh, um, we do crime and horror stories and some occasionally fantasy stories and sci-fi as well. Right. Um, there are, you know, two and a half years worth of content on there. So, you know, you have plenty of shows that you can uh, sink your teeth into and we produce on a weekly basis and uh, there's plenty of amazing shows coming up. The one that's coming up next is uh, Thrashul, which is a military thriller, a genre that's not particularly um, celebrated in India yes. enough, I think. Not enough works in that space, yes. so that'll, that'll be very good. Um, so, you know, it's inspired by James Bond movies and Jason Bourne movies and all the military thrillers that I've read through my youth. Um, you know, so that's coming up in January. But I'm at India Noir on Twitter and Instagram, so you can reach me there. And uh, yeah, but this was very good, Shivam. Yeah. I'm glad we can we, are, we were finally able to. Yeah, I was uh, I was happy this. connecting with you too. It was a, it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed myself. I just want to say one more time that season, like I think that even like usually at least with me is like my older episodes. You can see me kind of learn as I'm going, but that's not the case with yeah. Indian Noir. If you pick up the season one episode one, I fucking loved it. It was amazing. So you can see, I think you can pick up, pick it up across anyone as long as you're starting on episode one on any season. You should yeah, be fine. Yeah, so it's easily marked. It's uh, initially when you come on board, it might seem confusing, but it's really not. It's, it says season one, episode one of whatever show it is. And His Night Begins, which yeah. is the first, very first one you'll hear. Yes. It's the most popular Indian noir show. Like the, the fan mail for that show is nonstop. It's, uh, I don't think I'll write anything better than that, to be honest with you, because it's just uh, over three seasons plenty of content there but uh, thank you Shivam for yeah. your kind words so I appreciate it and thank you Nikesh it was great talking to you man Just thank you stop. man